Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Triangles Meditation Group. Today is March 29th, 2021. And we're working within the first day of distribution of the energies of the Aries Full Moon Festival, the first of the three spiritual festivals. So it's a time of new beginnings and hopefully for all of us who are members of this triangles service activity, we can renew our dedication and strengthen our ability to serve by a deeper application to our daily triangles work. So we come together each week to introduce this planetary service to those people who are new to it and to aid them in the forming of triangles. And so any of you who are new, we welcome you to this platform and hope that you will consider forming a triangle. And we also come together for those people who are already members of triangles from all different parts of the world um, to support and strengthen the planetary network by participating together in a visualization. So again, welcome to all of you and thank you so much for being with us to support the network. Triangles is a simple visualization technique using the power of thought and prayer to uplift and transform consciousness. The work is simply the establishing of lines of lighted loving communication between three people who agree to link with each other every day, mentally, spiritually, and in a spirit of goodwill to all humanity. They then visualize the triangle in which they are working as linked with the planetary network of triangles. And as this network is visualized surrounding the earth, the great invocation is sounded, which is a world prayer that's ideal for distributing the energies of light, love, and spiritual will, and releasing them and finding inspiration in all open hearts and minds. And triangles need only take a few minutes each day, and it can therefore be fit into even the busiest of schedules. So if you resonate to this idea of planetary service, you can visit our website at www.triangles.org. You can place your name in the chat box here today, and hopefully two people will agree to form a triangle with you. So if you want to participate, you should be able to do so. And now let's, uh, as we do each week, let's take a moment of silence to link with one another, and then we'll work together in a brief visualization. Visualize the planet as a sphere of lighted energy. Within that sphere, visualize a triangle composed of the three primary planetary centers, Shambhala, the planetary head center, the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart, and humanity, the planetary throat center. Visualize the circulation of energies flowing in all directions around the triangle from point to point, merging and blending the three points, filling the triangle with light.
now superimposed upon that triangle, visualize a five-pointed star, the star of the world teacher, linking east and west, past and present, radiating the energy of love wisdom. At each point of the star, the sphere of his activity, stands an outpost of his consciousness, the five planetary centers. Visualize the energies radiating forth from the center of the triangle out through the five points of the planetary star. London. Darjeeling. New York, Geneva, Tokyo, Visualize these outpouring energies enlivening small groups gathering everywhere, aiding them to focus and direct the energies into the consciousness of all humanity. Solving its problems creating right human relations, restoring peace on earth. Project a rainbow bridge to the spiritual hierarchy and sound together the mantra. Radiance we are and power. We stand forever with our hands stretched out, linking the heavens and the earth. The inner world of meaning and the subtle world of glamour. We reach into the light and bring it down to meet the need. We reach into the silent place and bring from thence the gift of understanding. Thus with the light we work and turn the darkness into day. After our meditation today, we'll be hearing 
from one of our frequent presenters, Eduardo Grimalia from Argentina. And um, he'll be speaking on myth, Hercules myth, hero, and spiritual disciple. So we look forward very much to hearing from Eduardo after the meditation. All students of the science of triangles can deepen their understanding of how to work more effectively with the signs conditioning at any one time through consideration and pondering of these labors of the sun god Hercules that Eduardo will be discussing. For the labors are in essence a depiction of the path of discipleship which is taken up when the seeker is beginning to reverse him or herself on that path, responding to a different current, one that is quite opposite to that which the masses of humanity are following. Sometimes this turning is compared to that of a salmon struggling to swim upstream against the current while all the other fish are coasting downstream in sync with the normal flow. One takes up the labors because there has been a measure or a spark of soul influence coming into the field of awareness. And as a result, there awakens within the individual an ardent desire to turn another way, to seek another path because the things of the world no longer satisfy he comes then increasingly under the influence of the planet Saturn, the planet of discipline, the planet of opportunity, the planet conditioning the mental plane. Hercules' light shone forth and was evidently noticed by the great presiding one, whom we can take to be the planetary king, Sanat Kumara himself but he merely glanced in Hercules' direction over long, long periods of time. As progress was made over the centuries, Hercules came under the watchful eye of a chela in the light, a member of the spiritual hierarchy, and later a master of the wisdom who looked his way and gave hints Prior to his commencement on the labors proper, the great presiding one stated to Hercules, obey the teacher on the way, prepare for the last tests, pass through each gate and in the sphere which they reveal and guard, perform the labor which befits their sphere. Learn thus the lesson and begin with love to serve the men of earth. Then to the teacher went the final word. Prepare the candidate, give him his labors to perform and place his name upon the tablets of the living way. The labors are sequential in nature. The strengths and qualities unveiled and developed in each one provide the foundation for the testing ahead. And thus the warrior moves from strength to strength. His vision expands and he develops new tools and skills to draw upon. In his introduction to the labors of Hercules, the Tibetan noted that upon entering or passing through each gate or each labor, the disciple enters into a sphere this sphere is only revealed to those who are on the path of return. And this sphere, it seems, is a subtle vibratory influence emanating from the esoteric ruling planet of the sign that rules the particular labor. The esoteric ruling planet as it works out through the exoteric ruler that has been or is in process of being transformed. These dual planetary influences would, of course, color those individuals who are conditioned 
by any particular sign. But they also condition and control our world and all of us in it during those periods in the annual cycle when those particular signs and spheres are entered into. So as we now work with Aries, we enter into the sphere of the labor conditioned by the esoteric ruling planet Mercury, the god of crisis on one level, working through the non-sacred Mars. The keynote for this sign demonstrates the strength of this combination. I come forth and from the plane of mind, I rule. This brings in a powerful mental influence in this sign, which is augmented by the inpouring forces of restoration overshadowing areas which are concerned with the restoration of the minds of human beings and of the animal kingdom through the inpouring of special forces from the spiritual hierarchy. So the mind can become creative. It's always helpful when working with the planetary influences during any cycle to consider how this ruling planet might be conditioned during the particular time. For example, right now, Mercury is just moving into an exact alignment with the planet Neptune in the sign of Pisces. This can be a highly intuitive combination and is surely contributing to the group's ability to focus itself within the inner ashrams and become receptive to the meditative rhythm, which is that rhythm which is in constant influx and pouring into our planet when at all times and with each sign it's conditioned, this meditative rhythm is conditioned by this planetary sphere in which we find ourselves. The group whose mind is being illumined by the light of the soul can become receptive to the importing energies and through the use of the creative imagination formulate those ideas which are pouring in into ideals which can then be generated into forms for the aid of humanity. So let's now work in our meditation. Coming together in group fusion. Link in thought as a soul as a point of love and light with all those people throughout the world who are working with this Triangles Meditation Group. Project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and then towards the center Shambhala where the will of God is known. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Naught shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. Using the creative imagination, link with two other points of light to create a triangle of light.
visualize the triangle in which you are working as an essential part of the Radiant Worldwide Triangles Network. Hold the consciousness immersed within the light of the group soul, the heart of love which underlies and infuses the network. Now lift the consciousness to the world teacher who stands as the heart of love at the center of the spiritual hierarchy and also at the heart of each triangle. precipitation. Visualize the energies of love, light, and goodwill circulating in and around the triangles network. Visualize these energies unifying and eliminating all divisions within humanity, healing and transforming human consciousness and establishing right human relationships.
as a group, let's project a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and sound together the mantra of unification. The souls of all are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let pain bring due reward of light and love. Let the soul control the outer form and life and all events and bring to light the love that underlies the happenings of the time. Let vision come and insight. Let the future stand revealed. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let love prevail. Let all people love. Visualize the whole planet alight with triangles. See new triangles being formed everywhere. Prior to sounding the great invocation, let's pause to consider the work to be done by the words as they're poured out. And as we repeat each stanza, let's visualize the network acting as a link between the world of spiritual realities and humanity, and as a channel through which light, love, and divine purpose may flow into human consciousness. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills the purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out and may it seal the door 
where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. Thank you, everyone. And welcome, Eduardo. Thank you, Kathy. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for a wonderful introduction and meditation. Thank you for being here. Well, hello, everyone. It's so nice to be here again. Well, as we move into the higher interlude of this year and welcome a renewed yearly cycle in Aries, I thought we could reflect on Hercules as a myth and as the paradigm of the spiritual disciple, mainly in relation to this renewed cycle of initiatory activity. And a curious statement by H.P. Blavatsky is often overlooked. She said that the study of the hidden meaning in myths and legends had occupied the greater portion of her life. She was convinced that no mythological story has ever been pure fiction. Each of them has an actual historical lining to it and is a vehicle of certain universal truths being passed on. So, let me start with a very few words about some of the problems we encounter when we talk about myth. Many of us sometimes say, I like mythology, meaning we like the tales about gods and heroes. In other words, the body of stories developed by a culture. But in a more proper sense, mythology is the reflection on what myth itself is. Unfortunately, myth is a notoriously hard concept to define. In Greek, myth simply means story. Modern scholarship has subdivided traditional tales into three divisions, myth, legend, and folk tales. Myth proper would refer to traditional tales that have to do directly with supernatural beings and gods. The story of Hercules is a myth. In this threefold division, legend would refer to traditional stories rooted in historical facts. Robin Hood would be, would be an example of a legend. And the interesting thing is that all sorts of legends have accrued around truly historical personalities. I mean, there's no doubt that there was an actual George Washington, and yet many of the stories told about him, such as chopping down the cherry tree or throwing a silver dollar across a river, have more to do with the symbolic function people want him to fulfill in society. And this happens in every nation of the world. In a few centuries, those historical heroes could become purely legendary. And finally, folk or fairy tales are stories which are primarily 
entertaining. They often involve animals, talking animals, and even clever human beings. Little Red Riding Hood would be an example. For H.P. Blavatsky, however, all traditional tales, legends, and myths, far from being naive and childish stories, hide deep truths and sometimes even traces of historical events. And another problem we encounter is the source of myth. Myth is originally a story told from mouth to mouth, but our only way to know myth is through literature, which is myth already frozen. Once a myth is written down, it becomes fixed and it gives it gives us an idea of that version being the myth. But myth doesn't work like this in any oral setting. If I ask every one of you to tell me the story of Little Red Riding Hood, I bet I would get as many different versions as there are people here now. That's how a living oral tradition works. And when the only access is through writing, we tend to assume that's the real and complete story. In the case of Hercules, we encounter the same problems, but we are fortunate enough to have the Tibetans rendering of the myth. Having a master tapping the universal sources is indeed a rare privilege. So myths are tales, stories, handed down from generation to generation. As we see, we are not concerned here with the common conception of myth as a lie, as when we hear someone saying, say, love at first sight is a myth. Myth cannot be attributed to any one author and it is set in the remote past. Myths convey a sense that things were quite different in the past when gods and humans interacted more freely, and the order of the world was different, a sort of golden age. We cannot find that any trace of such golden age in historical records, but we certainly can in the ancient wisdom teachings, which tell us about those mysterious archaic times when the hierarchy was first established on earth. Hercules was already ancient for the Greeks themselves. For H.P. Blavatsky, the origins of the myth of Hercules is to be found, guess where, in India. The secret doctrine reveals that his incarnations occurred during the early root races, one of them as Krishna's brother. And according to the chronology of the secret doctrine, we're talking about millions of years ago. The worship was brought from India to Egypt, where the Greeks took this myth from, as we read in the Hindu Puranas. The real story of Hercules, we can surmise, has remained in the archives of the spiritual hierarchy. But we know for sure that a series of stories about his deeds was passed on orally in ancient times and within oral settings. All myths are true. It was a Sicilian guy mentioned in the secret doctrine called Euhemerus, who in the fourth century came up with the idea that there's some historical truth underlying traditional tales. So when Alice Bailey in the Tibetan, in the labors of Hercules, calls the hero that great and ancient son of God, she is telling us that Hercules really existed. However, as with Christ or Buddha or Krishna and others, the important point is not whether they existed or not, but their paradigmatic character. That's to say all the, the details of Hercules dramatic and often amusing story are applicable to modern aspirants and serve as a model for the modern disciple on his path of spiritual unfoldment. Hercules is without question the greatest hero of all. Hero is a Greek word which is so far from the modern concept of a Hollywood hero. Among other characteristics, heroes, and this goes only for classical Greek mythology, are mostly born from a male god 
and a female human, symbol of the essential duality of spirit and matter, or life in form. Hercules's father was Zeus himself, his mother, a woman called Alcmene. Unlike other heroes like Theseus, who was primarily associated with Athens, Hercules was a pan-Hellenic hero because he covered and was claimed by most of the known world. He reached even to the land of the dead, Hades. He was attributed the foundation of oracles, the Olympic games, healing altars, and even mystery schools. A cross-cultural hero who founds healing and spiritual centers and clears many lands from dangers may truly be seen as a symbol of the world disciple whose field of service extends to cover the whole planet. In ancient times, he was worshipped both as God and as hero. He was divine and at the same time, deeply human. In Greece, the, the rituals offered to a hero differed substantially from those offered to a god. Although Greek sources like Aristophanes sometimes highlight his beastly aspects, at the same time, the Greeks recognized no greater hero. Hercules was one of, one of twins, he being the son of Zeus himself. His brother Iphicles, that of Amphitryon, a human father. Hercules' first noteworthy deed was when the goddess Hera sent two snakes to kill him in his crib. The baby, instead of being frightened, strangled the snakes with his bare hands. In artistic representations, his brother is shown cowering off on one side of the crib. Hercules would eventually kill his half-brother, his earthly shadow, a symbol of becoming a unity. Hera, the goddess, drove Hercules mad more than once. And in one of these episodes of madness, the hero kills his own children by his wife, Megara. This is, according to Alice Bailey, a symbol of that burning aspiration which drives a beginner on the path to lose all sense of proportion and madly sacrifice everything for his ideals and goals, as he understands them, of course. The sources agree that it was as atonement for this crime that the Oracle of Delphi tells him that he must serve his cousin Eurystheus for 12 years, who sets him 12 labors, each of them related to one of the zodiacal signs. The Pythia from the Oracle, the priestess, also promises him that if he succeeds to accomplish his labors, his reward will be no less than immortality. Eurystheus, king of Mycenae, had purposefully been caused to be born before Heracles by Hera, so that the hero may eventually be a slave to him. So Hera, the goddess, is out to make trouble and make life difficult for him, even from before the day of his birth. Hera hated Zeus's sons by other human females. But in the sources, she is shown to have a particular detestation for Hercules. His birth name was Alcades in Greek, and the name Heracles was given to him by the oracle. Given Hera, uh, given Hera hated, uh, hatred for the hero, it may seem odd that his name Heracles in Greek, Hercules, mean the glory of Hera. However, the matter becomes clearer when, when we think that Hera represents the soul who submits the disciple to all kinds of tests. So Heracles or Hercules adopted this name as he recognized his mission of expressing the glory of the soul. In other words, Hera's hatred is a symbol of the soul on its own plane imposing on the aspiring human personality all kinds of tests and challenges in order that all the dark aspects stand revealed and the human hero succeeds in manifesting forth the power of his innate divinity. 
In order to accomplish this, certain sacrifices must be made. So as it mostly happens in myth, murder and death become a symbol. The victims representing those aspects of the lower nature the disciple must deal with and eventually sacrifice. The spiritual disciple is in some way a warrior, a hero. Hercules murdering his music teacher is a metaphor of reaching the stage of trust in his own capacities and standing on his own feet as the disciple does. The only teacher he did not kill, interestingly enough, was the wise centaur, half animal, half human, a symbol of duality. And one may guess why. The duality of the fixed cross pervaded all his life. He was alternatively a hero and a slave, powerful and powerless, ill-fated, but he achieves immortality. Is the unfortunate hero and the fortunate god. He is both masculine and feminine. He's a super macho masculine hero, but when a slave to Queen Omphali, according to the sources, he dresses in women's clothes and performs women's tasks. The anthropologists suggested that cross-dressing in myth is a trace of ancient rites of initiation. So many different stories cluster around Hercules that it has been extremely difficult to construct a unified, coherent picture of the hero. However, scholars today believe that it is in the integration of polar opposites that the central nucleus underlying this myth is found. Interesting, isn't it? The path of the sun in the heavens is a most beautiful symbol of, of the path of human unfoldment. Aries is the first sign of the zodiac, and it is a sign of commencement. And this sign starts the path on which form is taken and prevails. By the way, Kathy, I really liked the, the analogy with the salmon. <laughs> um, so, however, after the human being is taken through many incarnations around the whole wheel of the zodiac, when form has been assumed in Cancer, the densest point of illusion has been reached in Scorpio, and the height of personal achievement was experienced in Capricorn, there comes a time when a reversal takes place, when the aspirant arrives as this final stage upon the evolutionary path, he's ready for the tests, which will lead him to the full expression of his divinity. This point is Hercules found in Aries, his first labor, later realizing the magnitude of his task. He's told that the Thracian king Diomedes, son of Mars, possesses a number of mares which were devastating the countryside and subsisting on human flesh. Eurystheus, the king, ordered Hercules to capture them. Having done so, he gave the horses to Abderis, his friend, to hold while he walked ahead, not realizing that those strong and violent horses would trample Abderis to death. The mares escaped and Hercules had to start his labor all over again and he finally succeeded. In not every case, Hercules succeeded, as we are told. Aries is ruled, as Kathy said, exoterically by Mars and esoterically by Mercury. During the wheel of incarnation, it is Mars' desire which prompts to, to action. For the disciple, it is thought ruled by the planet Mercury. Aries governs the head, and it is the sign of the finger. This is where Hercules, the newly thinking disciple, begins his effort. As we're told in the labors of Hercules, the horse is a symbol, as a symbol stands for thought and intellectual activity. Plato, in the myth found in his dialogue, Phaedrus, also uses the symbol of a horse in a very similar way. So Aries brings us now here a very important lesson. 
Hercules' first lesson was to gain mental control. The first lesson on the path. For ages, the mayors of wrong ideas and speech have been devastating our countryside, our environment. In a way, this swarm of uncontrolled thoughts feed on humanity, such as the mayors in Hercules' story subsisted on human flesh. This until the disciple can say, I come forth and from the plane of the mind I rule. It is said that one of the first lessons we all have to learn is the tremendous power we mentally wield and the amount of both good and harm we can cause through the horses of our mind. Hercules at first failed to realize the potency of thought, so he gave up dairy, symbol of the lower self, the mares to hold. So the questions that we can ask ourselves this month are, how do I use my mind? Are my thoughts contributing to uplift my environment? Are they thoughts of fear or of hope? From the very start, the Yoga Sutras make us clear that the first step in the science of union is the control of the mind. And we can thus see how closely related this first task is with the work of triangles, where we use the power of thought with the purpose of contributing to generate the triangular network of light and transform human relations. Hercules had a unique destiny. As the Pythia foretold, he conquered death and reached his apotheosis. He was transfigured into a god as he was consumed by flames on Mount Eta. After passing through fire and burning his mortal body, he joined the Olympians, a symbol of becoming a member of a hierarchy of enlightened beings. So finally, as I said last year, all equinoctial and tropical signs in a way indicate a change of direction, but Aries is the sign of beginnings. The energies which emanate from the great bear and reaches via this constellation are said to be of tremendous powers, power. These energies of life itself will eventually lead us to that moment of supreme freedom when the stone from the door of a sepulcher of the soul is rolled away, truly a resurrection. As we see the world slowly emerging from this pandemic, let us project our path of light and service for this coming year not forgetting that, as we are told, hope is the keynote of Aries. Thank you, Kathy, for letting me share these thoughts with the group. As we participate in the distribution of the powerful energies of the Full Moon Festival with the added energies of Venus in the heart of the sun, I send you all warm greetings and hopes that this time may really be a powerful beginning, full of hope for us all. Thank you so much, Eduardo. Thank you so much. Uh, there are some comments and um, now is the time for the group to share. We have a few minutes left. Um, if you'd like to place your comments in the chat box, Eduardo can read them and comment. Or if you'd like to share audibly, you just click on your name in the participants box and we'll unmute your microphone. I promise that next time we will have more time for well, well, there's, questions. There's time. There's some time. <laughs> we can go a little bit over if there, if a need to be. Um, we, there's some comments which you'd like to read some of them and comment on them, Eduardo. Can you see the chat box? Yes. Yeah. Well, here, thank you. In the Lord of the Rings, truth becomes legend. Legend becomes myth. But as we learn through the ancient teaching, it then flows the other way, just like our journey on the Zodiac, as Kathy has so often told us. Myth becomes legend, legend becomes truth. Yes. Uh, well, yes, of course. Well, one can well remember how Troy in Homer's Iliad 
was a, a myth. And then the archaeological site of Troy in Turkey was unearthed, discovered. So then it became a legend. So there's a very close connection between, as I said, between myth and legend. And uh, yeah, and according to, to Blavatsky, for instance, uh, all myths, legends, fairy tales, folk tales uh, had a, uh, an underlying truth, underlying universal truth, and sometimes historical events. And the salmon, yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the salmon was great, Gaffey. Yeah? That, that was a perfect uh, example of that reversal, of how it is to go against the current. Uh, here, uh, someone says, myth is a, a myth is a guiding paradigm for model or model for individuals or for groups in Joseph, in Joseph Campbell's books. Myth to live by, one kind of universal myth is a hero myth, which guides an individual towards greater wholeness of self through inner work and challenges, yes. Of course, thank you, Matthew. There's a, um, there's a raised hand. Uh, it's probably a comment from Facebook Live. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> now I'm not able to unmute you, Joshua. Well, let's see. You know, in the meantime, let me tell you, there's a great deal of discussion about myth nowadays. Sometimes, as Joseph Campbell thinks, uh, some scholars think that it is the universal thing that matters, and some other scholars today think that it is all the particulars of every myth, that is to say the things that distinguish one myth from the other, that really matters. Yeah. So there's a great deal of discussion going on, but I'm very glad to see that uh, what Blavatsky foretold that is that the that the um, the right approach to myth must be universal is becoming true nowadays mm. even at university. Mm. Uh, Joshua, did you have a comment? Uh, it's uh, from me, not uh, from somebody on. Oh, Facebook. okay. But um, it's been said that sort of the modern uh, superheroes and other sort of fantastic tales in media are like uh, our modern mythology. And, you know, in fact, some of them are actual mythological figures like uh, Thor, for instance. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, the sort of current mythology or these yes. sort of original myths? Uh, I think the, the, the point is that myth is a category that appears when we look from outside the culture and with a time difference. You know, let me quote a very direct example. Uh, please Catholics don't get offended. For Catholics, the, the, the immaculate conception is a reality, a literal reality within the frame of Catholicism is not a myth. For me, it is a myth, not because it is a lie, but because it means something else, that it has an underlying truth, universal truth behind that. So to, to, to enter into the category of myth, you have to stand as observer and look at it from outside. So nothing from the inside of the culture is called a myth. It's because from the inside of the culture, it's a reality. So th that may happen today. And uh, who knows, many stories and many things, events that happen today will eventually be turned into legends and as the great heroes of history. And then perhaps, who knows? Myths. Thanks, Isabel. I appreciate the talk. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's another um, hand raised from John. Hello, John. Thank you, Kathy, Eduardo. And I wanted to kind of follow on to what Joshua had been saying. Uh, it's been interesting to note the resurgence of mythology in our culture, bubbling up as it were from the roots amongst the younger set with the new uh, Marvel universe and all of the movies and stories and play acting that goes on around that. I would just like to offer that this is perhaps a great example of the need the deep human need for myth, legend, and the truth 
that underlies that uh, perhaps we have uh, this rising cohort uh, feeling the need to create avatars, both from repurposing ancient symbols and the creation of new ones. Thank you. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, quite right. Yes. Um, avatar is a very interesting. Sorry. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no problem, Kathy. Avatar is a very interesting Sanskrit word and very much related to the subject of myth. Uh, uh, in Sanskrit, tar uh, means to move. Tara means star, just the same root as the word star in English. But ava means down. So avatara, avataraha, avatar in Sanskrit means the one who descends to this plane. So there's a there's always a connection with that. I, I mean, there's we in, in when we're considering myth, there's always uh, that relation being established between this plane and uh, and that plane. That's for history. It's uh, just uh, uh, figments of imagination. But as I said, uh, from the ancient wisdom perspective, it, it it's quite a different thing uh, because. First of all, we have to know, we, we have to consider that myth means a paradigm. It's an example. And so Hercules was in a way uh, a model as was Krishna, as was Jesus Christ, as was, as was Buddha for all to follow. So that's when it, uh, myth is, becomes another category, right? Well, when I just have a, I have said, a question. I have a question. When, okay, when Plato course. wrote his Republic and spoke of the philosopher kings, do you think he was speaking from the idea of a myth or a legend? Or how do you think he understood those philosopher kings? Well, uh, there's a great deal of discussion on the word myth in Plato. Plato. How do you say that? Plato or Plato? I say Plato. Plato in Greek. Plato, Plato. right, Plato. okay. And um, in the Gorgias, Gorgias uh, dialogue of uh, Plato, Socrates made say, says that, um, is that, well, in a way, someone tells him a story and he says, uh, he, he asks, is that, uh, uh, an old woman's tale, tale, myth in Greek, or is it true? And there's a great deal of discussion what myth is, but the point is that many times that, um, that opposition so much talked about between logos and myth is really non-existent in a way, mm. because Plato, when he did not know how to express a very deep idea, he used what he called myth. Mm. A myth is always a tale. Mm. Of course, it is said in the past. And, and uh, you know, even Plato, the great philosopher, uh, resourced to myth, to, tell cert to, to say, to tell cert certain truths, so to say. And in the Republic, well, he tries to figure out how the, the ideal polis or city would be. But in a way, he's trying to, the, the polis is a symbol of a human being with all the, 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 the aspects of the human being or the vehicles, so to say. It's, it's a very deep thing, really. <clears throat> Thank you so much. How about one more, um, I guess there are no more hands raised, but one more comment if you'd like to address and then we can close. Yes. And I'll, uh, I'll send says, you all the comments also. So. Okay. Yeah. Someone says, uh, yeah, Don Stuber or some, or, Stuber. well, mm -hmm. so Stuber, <laughs> mm -hmm. sorry. I've always appreciated the labors of Hercules by 
Alice Bailey. Many begin with references to the teacher and the great presiding one. I take that as a master and that a member of Shambhala. Might you have a, any more specific thoughts who was, and, on who was involved? Well, who precisely, I, I don't think anyone can say, but uh, this is what, what I meant when I, I said, well, in historical records, we, we cannot find any trace of that golden age and, 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 and setting that myths talk about. But in the, the, the chronology of, 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 of uh, that mysterious chronology presented by the do secret doctrine, so certainly we can fit that into that. Uh, because, you know, uh, the hierarchy was established on Earth, say, 80 million years ago. And so the third, the fourth, the fifth road, root, um, root races came. And then uh, apparently all myths of heroes, I think, could be related to that first stage of humanity, the great golden age in spiritual civilization of those root races. Um, so, well, so uh, myth uh, is no longer uh, an imagination or something that we can approve. Uh, it, can, it can be sort of, um, well, set in, in, in past history because well, from the ancient wisdom teachings, we know that history goes far back than historical records, right? But again, I think that the most important part is that these tales are a sort of model. They mean something. It's, they sort of reveal the path that all human beings must follow sooner or later. Thank you so much, Eduardo. And thank you all for your comments and your attention. And now, just as we always do, let's just end by thanking Eduardo and by linking thank you, up Kathy. with- Thank you, Kathy. So nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, linking up with all Triangles members throughout the world with a moment of silence. Thank you all and have a good night.